0: Welcome to another episode of Breaking into Cybersecurity. Today, we have Jonathan, who's joining us on CISO Thursday. But before we go into him, if you are following us on LinkedIn, please follow myself, the podcast, and Jonathan. If you're following us on YouTube, hit that subscribe and notification button. That way we pop up the next time we're on. And then if you're following us after the fact, on your favorite podcast platform. Please give us a 10 star rating or five if that's all you can and share with all your friends and family. Uh, Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. You want to give us a little overview of your background so that our listeners uh, can understand where you're coming from?
1: Yeah, for sure. Thanks, Chris. And I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Um, so hi, everybody. My name is Jonathan Waldrop. Um, I've been in IT and in, in security for many years, and IT for a bit longer. And then uh, over the past oh, six or eight years or so, I've, I've really started to focus in on cybersecurity. Uh, but really, over the past, in my current role, in the past five years, I've really had a, a laser focus on security. Um, and, 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 you know, really, pulling in the experiences I've had as an IT user as a customer uh, but then also as a provider on how do we how do we really create security how do we build these environments uh, build the relationships to have um, security across the enterprise um, I got my start in the uh, the military um, I was in the Air Force active duty for several years doing a, a few different types of, of things that are, you know everything from computers to radios and, and navigation equipment for aircraft and had a, a lot of awesome experience there <clears throat> And as I progressed through my career, I um, ended up deciding to leave active duty, and, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this as time goes on, but I, I joined the reserves um, in the Air Force Reserve, and, and specifically, that's really where I kind of kick-started into um, a bit of Bit more of the technical background that I've developed over the years in security specifically. Um, again, protecting networks. How do we, you know, the best way to, uh, the, the good, a good offense is a good defense type thing. Right. And so how do we, how do we best protect our environment, but understanding how, how the bad guys are working. Um, and so that's, that's a little bit about me. I'm, I'm active here on LinkedIn. Please feel free to follow me or connect if you like. That's, that's great. Happy to do that. Um, and, and really I'm just, just glad to take a few minutes to talk through my experience. hopefully, um, that's uh, useful to somebody, and, and always glad to to build new relationships and meet new folks on
0: these types of uh, platforms. Wow, what a interesting background, and and definitely want to dive into your military experience as well as your reserve duty, because one of the things, not just this podcast, but there's a lot of individuals transitioning from the military and looking to IT or cybersecurity as a potential next journey for them. And one of the organizations that I help support is the Whole Cyber Human Initiative. And there, what we do is we work with them to highlight the transferable skills that they gain in their previous lives and show how that relates to future roles. So as you transitioned out, describe your experience and how you landed where you landed.
1: Yeah, so I um, I started like I said I had a, a bit of a background in IT in the Air Force we called it communications and information so really computers and networks and radios and any any way you communicate um, and then later on the, the, as the career as as cybersecurity developed really as a as a, a real thing right uh, the Air Force added cyber the uh, cyberspace as an actual domain. That we that we fight in. Right. So including air, land and sea and and now cyberspace, of course, Um, So that really transformed our career field to not just being, you know, a support desk. Hey, the email's broken type type of an issue. um, And really on the the more leading edge of how are we actively protecting our environment? How are we actively keeping bad guys out Um, and and then using that? The, The cyber warfare is a real thing. Um, unfortunately, right, that, that's just the, the world in which we live in, um, because it's accessible, it's accessible to everybody, right? Um, prior to, to the cyber domain, you had to have a bunch of money to go build a plane or build a ship, um, you know, that type of thing. But now it really, anybody can be a cyber criminal, um, and it really changes the landscape of, of how, we, how we prevent and detect uh, and then respond to those types of events. Um, but but getting back to you know my background how I kind of happened into it <clears throat> um, I moved into the the reserves in about the 2013 timeframe um, and at, at that time again cyber was still emerging as a um, in in enterprise organizations and smaller companies were yeah well we we do security we have passwords kind of thing um, and it was it was a, a point in my career where I, I really looked to see um, you know, peered into the the little bit of a crystal ball that I have, right? That I think I have anyway. Um, and I said, "Hey, security is going to be a really big thing, um, and I think it's going to be interesting." I had a little bit of a technical background, and uh, honestly, I just kind of took a leap of faith and said, eh, "This is kind of cool. Seems like it's going to have some job security." Um, and it's really become that—that that really started kindling that that passion of mine. That the security is everybody's responsibility. Um, we all have a duty to protect information, uh, especially when when we're handling it for other people. Um, so that's, that's kind of what got me into it. But, but definitely, um, a- again, protecting people's information that can't protect it themselves. Um, that is something I try to drive as a practitioner um, with everybody I, I work with, whether you're in HR, in uh, the service desk, on the security team, in sales, right, all these kinds of different organizations that, that have to use security um, we as practitioners really need to make it accessible to them, and uh, and that's how we do that. We build those relationships. We understand what their needs are in security. Everybody's need is going to be a little bit different depending on your perspective, uh, and so that's one of the cool things I like about security, being able to to touch all of those different parts of the organization.
0: And as you transitioned out, did you find the first role that you were looking for in, in a quick fashion, or what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, in the reserve, uh, I was able to um, pick the position that I went into. Unfortunately, I was hired into uh, a basically a network operations, a network operations security uh, unit. Um, and so I got a lot of experience there. They sent me to several months of training. Um, and I really credit the, uh, it didn't mean there was to be an air force reserve commercial, but I I really do credit the air force and and the the military for building a lot of that skill. Um, and those absolutely transferred directly over part of the training was some commercial certifications, um, that I've, I've held and and continue to maintain. Um, so there's obviously transferable skill in the cyber community. Um, but even when you think about non, you know, non-cyber, non-IT roles in the military, um, there are a lot of transferable skills uh, along um, just following guidance, like right? following procedure. um, you've got to be able to take something that's written down in rules. Everybody has their regulations and 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 uh, kind of laws and rules of of how you do business, whether that's as a uh, aircraft mechanic or you're you're doing paperwork for you know uh, managing managing career fields, managing paperwork, all that kind of stuff. Um, the the attention to detail that it, those positions require especially in the military when it when it's such a high consequence environment um you've, that attention to detail is something that really translates well over to uh to the cyber realm um i mean just in in my experience uh over the past several years i've worked with people who have been former airline pilots uh you know different types even even non-military um that have come to the to the cyber world <clears throat> um I've worked with aircraft mechanics and infantrymen and and women, uh, and and all sorts of people that that really bring their experience and expertise. Uh, and again, I think that's one of the really amazing things about security is that everybody's everybody has an experience securing something, whether that's your personal data, uh, and that really translates in some of the the military skills that that were taught around discipline uh, and following directions. But then also knowing when, hey, you know what? Here's what the rule book says. Here's what the procedure says. But things have evolved since then, and so we need to do the smart thing uh, and, and really take calculated risks uh, when when appropriate. And so that's that's something else. Um, you know, you don't always have a playbook in in uh, in the service, um, and and we don't always have a playbook in security. Sometimes it's kind of gut feel. Sometimes you maybe have a, a good good plan or procedure, uh, but it's something that uh, sometimes, honestly, you just kind of do it on the fly and and hope it works out based
0: on on your experience. <laughs> Wow, Uh, one of our viewers is saying uh, David from over on LinkedIn. Thank you for following us today. That you have a very interesting background, and I I wanted to dive a little bit into that. So you you remain in active reserves today, and I I I see that you continue to do some very interesting things there. How do you balance um, the national security perspective and the private sector? Perspective that well.
1: That's an interesting question, um, and so it's one that I've um, kind of debated back and forth, right? So, so working doing cybersecurity in the government and the military space is so very different from uh, a, from a corporate enterprise, right? Um, in in my current role, I handle a lot of things from you know perimeter defense to security awareness training for for uh, employees and. Uh, detection and response and incident response and and all these different areas of security that you would think of when you think of a company, Uh, the the Department of Defense and the government in general is so incredibly large and the the networks and the environment that we're working in with different classification levels, uh, it is so complicated and and one team can't handle everything. Um, And so you really have these, these, you develop these areas of specialization um, across different organizations. And that's where it really becomes critical to understanding a little bit, you know, you've got to understand about how other people are interacting with you, but you've really got to have a lot of depth in your role. Um, and it's not uncommon or not uh, too dissimilar rather from large enterprise companies, you know, think uh, any company in the the Fortune 50 type, type frame where they've got a global enterprise, they've got networks upon networks and they've got different, you know, different people managing different parts of it. They've got to have that orchestration level. So at at a small business or medium sized business, it's, it's, uh, it certainly is complicated. Um, and it kind of falls into the, the Jack of all trades, um, in many cases. Um, and then hopefully you can, you have some expertise here and there, but it's, it's really, it's a bit different. Some of the core fundamentals and kind of the theory of how cybersecurity works and, and what we're doing here is, is similar. Um, and that's how the skills really transfer over. Uh, but as far as, you know, can I pick up something that I, I am doing in my, my reserve world and, and, you know, translate it directly into my day job. And eh, maybe there's a, a nugget here or there. Uh, but it's, it's a bit different too. Um, there's a lot of policy. There's a lot of red tape, right? The, the government is, is what it is. Um, and, and there are a lot of rules for, for some good reason. Sometimes they, they may not be such a good reason, but, uh, you know, they're there for a purpose. So we've got to understand those. And so it is it is a bit of a different world, but it's it's a lot of fun. It kind of keeps keeps me grounded in both and, and certainly drives a different perspective uh, when it comes to that.
0: Wow. Uh, we have Stephen saying, the military as a whole is really prepared service members with great soft skills and technical skills that could be used in the cybersecurity space. Validating those IT skills with certifications are a winning combination. So, as a leader, what do you look for in those that are transitioning to cybersecurity, whether from the military sector or from another sector in the civilian world?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And, and one that we get a lot as practitioners, right? How do we grow the people that are, are are wanting to come into cybersecurity? Because we we certainly need more help. There's a lot of companies out there that are hiring a lot of open positions, and we need really smart folks. Um, I, I think the first thing that you look for is, is drive and passion in that area. And and one of the, without giving too many secrets, say One of the questions I always ask in interviews is, why do you want to do security? Um, and and in those, I'm I'm always looking for more of an answer uh, than, oh, I just want to learn how to hack stuff, right? Oh, I want to want to do that, right? to Do the cool stuff, right? Well, well, why? What what about it is interesting to you? Is it is it finding out how things break? Is it, um, for me, it's 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 really how are we going to protect data? How are we going to protect? Um, Employee data, customer data, client data, personal information, health information. When you think about it, you've got all kinds of, of data that's that's spanning your environment. Um, and so, I, all that comes back to is really looking at why do you want what? What about security is is really interesting to you? Um, and then it's uh, it, it gets into you know what do you know about security, right? Not as a, a barrier to entry, but but what parts are interesting, right? you know, pen testing and incident response get a lot of attention. Uh, and they're, they're very cool, uh, parts of security that you could stay really busy there. Um, uh, but there's also a lot of interesting places in security that don't require you to be able to, you know, decode packets and, and break down, uh, TCP headers and things like that. Right. Um, there's, there's GRC, plat, uh, GRC work, governance, risk, and compliance, um, where you're talking about, um, what what is what risk does this present to our organization? How much could that cost? Can we translate it into dollars? Uh, what's the likelihood of that? Right. So so there's a bit of uh, almost a, a little financial element there, which is really interesting. So again, it, it it's a wide ranging background. Um, but but you know, getting back to you know what else you look for in those those individuals. Um, certainly, if you've got technical skill, that's great. There's a lot of uh, great people on uh, this platform, on LinkedIn, on YouTube. Um, that have awesome videos out there uh, and can, you can learn things about different parts of technology. Um, a lot of the major players have uh, free lab environments for, for somebody that's learning right cloud environments and so forth and so there's a lot of ways you can get involved. Um, you can even you know set up your own laptop and I've done this before where you, you set up a dual boot Windows machine, an old laptop and, and run Linux on it right and uh, different different uh, types of Linux that you can learn some of those technical skills. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, great podcasts that you can listen to and, and other shows like this, uh, where you're hearing directly from security practitioners and, and what they're experiencing day to day. Um, and I also think it's real important to find, find mentors, right? Who, who's guiding you in that, in that path? Um, and, and do you have, do you have a, a really trusted, uh, individual that, uh, that, that can help guide you? Maybe that's been there before, hopefully, um, and, and can, can help, you know, ask some, some good provoking, thought provoking questions around, around why you want to do this and, and what's the, what's the end state, right? So a lot a lot of ways to get into security and, and hopefully we we can start breaking down a lot of those barriers uh, and, and really open up the, uh, open up the industry to a lot of amazing talent
0: that's out there just waiting to, waiting to be tapped. You, you spoke a lot about some non-resume or non-formal education ways of getting into the industry. How do you work with HR, recruiting, your your other talent management divisions to find the diamond in the rough, to find those folks that are doing these things that might not have properly displayed that on a resume, not made it through the ATS system?
1: Yeah. Um, So I think having a great network is really key there. Um, You can bypass, in some cases, some of those applicant tracking systems. Um, but I also think if if you've got a, a technical skill, you should have a skill section on your resume. I think, um, and and where you have, uh, uh, thanks Gary, appreciate the comments there. Um, uh, where you've got something you're doing at home, something you've learned, um, you should definitely re- put that on your resume. Whether it was volunteer, right? There's there's uh, uh, Cyber Patriot, uh, which is a um, it's kind of like a robotics club except focused on cybersecurity um that's a many high schools um all those types of environments where you can volunteer that service that is an excellent thing that you should absolutely include on your resume especially if you're if you're early career so there's uh let me think there's um there's there's a lot of ways you can do that you, it doesn't have to be a paid for engagement that you're being you know paid to consult or even mm-hmm. an employee um where where that's relevant skill uh, and also on the the job descriptions, when it does talk about your, uh, you know, sometimes they have a requirement section that says, oh, a, a four-year degree or equivalent experience, right? Um, so so that equivalent experience is your ticket in, um, and and it's becoming more and more of the norm where you're you're recommended to apply for a job even if you don't meet all the requirements, right? Um, even if you can't check all the boxes if you can check most of them or several of them, absolutely toss your name out there um, use your your network to uh to find somebody in that organization or in a similar role uh, that could p- possibly help you uh, help you dig in there
0: if you're you're applying the i use the a d twenty rule or the 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 seventy thirty rule where if you you, you check 70 to 80% of those requirements go ahead and apply that way you have some room to grow absolutely how, how do you ensure that you get to the list networking is the only way or what other tips would you get to ensure that you get to that interview
1: yeah um again i'll i'll harp on your network right if you if you have a connection that knows the hiring manager or knows somebody on that team absolutely that's a great place to get your name in the door um, I also think your uh, your, you know how you present yourself. Um, if you come across as confident, right, that's going to be that's that's a huge element um, versus somebody coming in timid, right. Security team is uh, can be really intense. Um, and you're going to deal with some big personalities, whether you're dealing with with line level employees, uh, you know, frontline workers, or if you're dealing with executives in the boardroom type thing. And so you got to be able to carry yourself and you got to be able to present yourself really, really well. So that's a skill that you can really practice. Um, sometimes it comes naturally to people. Some some people have to, to work at it over over a long period of time. Um, I think other ways to get in your in the door are, um, again, some of the independent training you can do, some of the independent learning. Uh, but then also, you know, if you've been trying to, you hear stories about people, oh, I'm trying to get into a, a SOC analyst position. I've been applying for hundreds of positions maybe and, and never gotten an interview. Um, then maybe try a different route. Maybe you try the service desk. Um, if you're in, you know, HR, and you want to move to cybersecurity, then reach out to your security team at your company and say, hey, my my end goal is to get to, get to the security team. How can I help you? Do security from my position in HR, um, like we have talked about. There's every every organization in your business leverages security somehow, uh, and your security team can really develop uh, what we call champions. We call them security champions, and we've got them across IT. Uh, we're developing the program across all other elements of our of our organization, um, and it could be your go to person. Maybe they're in a, a pilot group where. Um, uh, hopefully you've already got MFA rolled out. If you haven't, please do that. But, uh, you know, when you're setting up those kinds of projects, you want to roll that out slowly to make sure you're not going to break anything. Have those individuals in those pilot groups that get some exposure and experience. Uh, and then when your security team has an opening to fill, uh, guess what? They're going to think about you probably at the top of their list. Hey, you know, this person in HR is really, really hard charging. They're smart. They've helped us out. Let's at least have an interview with them and, and talk to them. I think, I think that's an underestimated way uh, of Of moving into security, especially if you're already at work um, in, in an organization and not on the security team.
0: And as a leader, how do you promote or ensure that there's that pipeline of internal mobility across the organization?
1: Yeah, that's a great question too. You know you want to look at um, especially during the interview process, that's a good question to ask is okay, you know on your website, you say you, you promote within. Tell me about the last person that that came in you know early career or even mid career and promoted to the next level, either they're like a principal engineer or uh, a lead role or supervisory role or even a team manager right Tell me about that experience and and that 's a good way to really test if the the company is is walking the talk uh, if they can meet that right um, I think you can also. Um ask, ask other other individuals uh, in that organization, um, you know, how does how is that actually going to work? Um, and then, you know, to, to build that, you really want to have a clear understanding from the hiring manager on what those actual requirements are. What do you need to see from me? You want to have really clear and candid feedback sessions um, on, uh, you know, what, what are the expectations of this role? What can I start doing in my current role that's going to demonstrate to you that I have the potential to do this in a full-time, you know, uh, uh, type of uh, capacity? So really those kind of clear um, clear and very candid conversations are, are really important. Um, and that's something I think everybody needs to be better at. You know, I, I think a lot of us tend to, to shy away from having very frank conversations. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with it, right? As long as you're polite about it, you're nice about it, you're not going to try to insult somebody. Um, I think, and, and it's it's a skill to receive and and deliver that type of feedback, and that's something I think we can all work on as uh, as individuals and coworkers.
0: Okay, and so you're you're, you're scanning through resumes. Do you, do you have a preference for a length of a resume? One page, two pages, twenty pages? <laughs>
1: uh, definitely not twenty. Hopefully, <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think. Two pages is is probably a good length if it spills over into a third, right? So it's a little bit different now that we're you're uh, uh, applying and posting your resume online somewhere than it was, you know, 20, 30 years ago when you're actually carrying your resume into a company and saying, hi, I'm Jonathan. I'd like to apply for a job that you posted in the newspaper, um, right? So I think it's a little bit different now. Three pages is, is probably okay, you know, for somebody who's got a lot of experience or maybe varied experience, Um but I, I think I would I would probably limit it to you know the past eight to ten years um, uh, of, of experience there. You certainly don't want to go on too long. Now I will also say if you're looking at federal jobs, the federal resume is a whole different beast. Um, I mean resumes are, are everybody's got their own opinion on on what a good one looks like. the The federal resume is way out there. Uh, honestly, it's it's a little bit um, difficult in some cases. But uh, <laughs> so in this case, just talking about um you know industry private industry uh, resumes but yeah it's 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 that's the good thing and the bad thing right there's there's a many number of ways to write a good resume and there are just as equally number of ways to write a bad one so
0: okay uh, a question from Whole cyber human initiative for new or aspiring folks how does leadership view those who write white papers or blogs about their tech journey and their knowledge yeah,
1: that's a great question. Thanks for asking that one. I think, uh, again, going back to how are you presenting yourself um, if you've posted videos, if you've, if you've done work like that, um, don't expect to send the link to that you know, 30-page blog on you know, how you uh, decrypted some ransomware variant, right? Okay, um, people aren't going to go read that. So you need a, a, a cool way to um, distill that into, maybe it's a LinkedIn video, um, that you have uh, a couple of talking points, and you can talk through that. hey, if you want to hear more, click the link in the comments. there you go um, and so that's a great way to show your depth of knowledge in that area, uh, but also be able to distill it down into you know the um, i've seen one one uh, form of writing where uh, it's communication from um, uh, from from different you know government or or whatever and says hey here's the the thousand word uh, explanation of what happened. Here's the 100 word explanation of what happened, and here's the the five word or the 10 word explanation. And so, being able to take that huge concept and bubble it, really bubble it down versus bubble it up, uh, but really distill it down into a couple of a couple of comments is a really good skill to have. Um, as a practitioner, you're going to need to uh, security practitioner you're going to need to learn how to take a really complex topic and and explain it to somebody that doesn't know anything about technology. Um, uh and, and so that that is a huge skill to have. And so there are a lot of ways um just like just like that where you can you can post a video or or turn your blog post into a uh a small short post on, on
0: LinkedIn or any other platform. So it sounds like communication, analysis, and even marketing is yeah. such a valuable skill within the industry to get hired as well as to get your message across. For sure. Absolutely. Communication is so key.
1: Um, and, and, you know, I think as, as technical people, a lot of us are, we get a bad rap of, of talking in bits and bytes and acronyms and and all these kinds of, of things that, uh, I was actually on a call the other day and, and we were talking about how to solve this problem for, for mail that was, that was impacting, uh, one of our customer groups. Um, and they said, we have no idea what you just said. Uh, I said, okay, sorry about that for, first of all, I didn't mean to talk over your head. Um, let us we'll we'll take this off the side we'll figure out the technical bits and we'll come back to you with the plan on how we're going to fix it going forward uh and so in some cases that's really intimidating to people that don't understand um what what you're talking about and so you you definitely want to cultivate those relationships um and the intent's not to to make anybody feel inferior because they don't understand the tcp handshake or or whatever you're talking about right Um, i just think but to your point the communication element Uh, and the relationships there that you drive with that communication is is so critical uh, to any career right but but i feel like especially in uh, in cybersecurity.
0: yeah that that's that's something that we promote all the time especially for those that are coming into the industry to i don't pick a topic of the week do a blog do an analysis on it not only do you keep up with what's happening but you can also then show that as a demonstration of your knowledge for leadership to see.
1: Absolutely, and, and it, so if you're in a, a security position, um, maybe early career, and you're looking for that next promotion, um, find something that you did at work, find uh, an an, a, uh, an event you responded to, um, and and work up a slide or two to to show at your next team meeting or whatever the the uh, uh however your your team meetings work right if it's slides or, or whatever else work up a, a short five or ten minute presentation and talk about what you did what happened what you did and, and how you resolve that problem um that's a that's a, again a great way to build some of those public speaking skills that's really important and, and again develop that communication and be able to to break it down into you know simple terms
0: are you saying that organizations run on powerpoint
1: some slide format of of your choice
0: <laughs> um what are your thoughts on other intangibles that you could get from actionable reporting seems to be the the button item that we're talking about here
1: yeah um i think the real key is to to know who you're talking to right what is their perspective Um, and and what is the message that you're trying to convey, right? What is, if if they have one thing to take away at the end of your five, 10 minute, 30 minute speech, whatever it is, what is the message? What do you want them to do? And tell them that up front. I either, this is just for your awareness. This is for your decision. We're we're gonna ask you to make a decision at the end of this. Uh, We're asking for money, for a budget, for a program, uh, or we want your guidance. We want your opinion on something. Um, that's really, really key, and you've got to think about and, and understand their position and where they're coming from. Um, and I've I've used HR or, or legal is another good example. You, you tell somebody in your legal team, hey, we've got a security event. Um, just letting you know, and they're gonna like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Tell me, tell me everything. I'm like, well, hang on, no, no, no. You know, okay, I didn't communicate that clearly. Um, here's the issue. Right now, it, we believe we've got it under control. You know, think about how they're going to respond. Um, and, and, and speak with your audience in mind, uh, again, and that's another case where you don't want to use uh, big technical terms because you do that and you're going to scare the, the, uh, the
0: socks off of anybody that you're talking to. So talking about big technical terms and words that have potentially different meanings across different groups, how do you ensure that you're, you're communicating that proper message, uh, to, to different practices that, for example, HR might have a meaning for a word, legal might have a meaning for a word, and security might have a, a slightly yeah. different meaning for that same word. Absolutely,
1: um, and that's that's really challenging, right? And so in, in those cases, um, you just gotta be super, super clear uh, and and speak very plainly when it comes to that. Uh, if you can avoid defining the word with the word in it, uh, right, that's, that's always gonna be a good thing. Um, but, uh, you know, if acronyms are, are, are a common way that, that people get things mixed up, right, um, and, and so, so don't use acronyms when you're communicating. Um, not in email. It's really easy to type it out. And uh, if, you, if you do have slides, I don't know if anybody uses slides anymore or whatever. Uh, <laughs> but, but, you know, cut, cut out that. Be able for that document to stand alone all by itself um, that doesn't require your, your talk track with it. So really, really try to break it down, uh, and then you know that might be a, a good instance where instead of sending an email, maybe you need to have a quick phone call. Uh, maybe you need to talk through the issue rather than fire an email off and, and see what they come back with, right? So a lot of ways to uh, to communicate effectively: Slack messages or or whatever kind of short message internal platform you're using. Um, sometimes those emotion and, and tone isn't conveyed well uh, via just text alone. Uh, and so pick up the good old fashioned telephone uh or or have a call and and talk through that,
0: or add some gifts or some emojis, yeah, to, there you go to, to, to help ensure you're sending me a message
1: add the right kind of emotion to it, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you said a, a very critical point there with the documents to be able to stand alone without your talk track i I think that's often overlooked that you you shouldn't have to explain your document and it's something that I still work on
1: today. Absolutely. It is a skill that for me is in in constant refinement. So at the same time the document needs to stand alone. It does not need to be a five paragraph essay on your slide that you're handing to your boss or your executive, right? Um it, it's it's got to be able to stand alone but it also has to be clear and concise. Um, because they're not going to sit there and read it all. They're going to ask you to, to come over and explain it to me
0: anyway. So, <laughs> <laughs> so as you, you, you've got you spent all this time, you've recruited, you've interviewed, now you've hired someone. What do you do to create that pipeline of growth inside, both to keep them with your organization, but as well grow them within the organization?
1: yeah uh so that's a great a great uh thought kind of exercise on on how you do that right so you 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 got through the the hiring process um which in some cases can be really lengthy hopefully you've got flexibility in your hiring so you don't have to spend six months trying to hire you know one one person right um that's also something that you should consider on as how long it takes you to hire people um because the longer it takes you to hire. The more difficult it is when somebody decides to leave um, and and move on to something else and and so you've, you've got to have the the right environment um, across that that pipeline if you will um, and I think one of the things that that I try to do and and again always always trying to get better at this um, but it's spend time with with those individuals that are new to the team right and and think about your team in terms of experience in two different ways um, their, their overall career experience right how long have they been doing X how good are they at engineering or whatever the case may be um, and then also look at their tenure in your organization how well do they understand how the organization works um, and so i think about that in, in those two different ways and so one of the one of the um, kind of informal programs that that we do is we've got pairs of people who are entry you know early career um, that have been at the company their entire career maybe two, three, three, four, or five years, whatever the case may be. And then we've got senior people as far as their career goes that are that are more mid or, or later in their career that have you know 10, 15 plus years of experience. And you can really pair those people up um, because they're at two opposites, right? The the experienced person who's brand new to the organization doesn't understand your business model maybe. Um, uh, and those are really critical things. And then uh, obviously the the more experience can can teach and mentor from a technical perspective um, the, the younger folks or the, the less experienced people. Um, I think that's really, really mis um, I don't say misunderstood, but, but, uh, um, I think we could focus more on that on securing the business, right? That's what we're there for is to secure the organization and understand how they operate. I think that's, that's really important. Um, the other thing I think is, is just having clear communication on your team, right? If you're the, the leader, the manager, um, people should be able to, to bring, bring a problem, bring a challenge to you. Um, and and you know you certainly want to want to to solve those problems at the right level and afford the the managers the experience to solve those problems before you take it to a director, um, but don't let problems linger right they don't get better with age, um, so you you got to have uh, that again that kind of candid conversation model, where you're willing to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about you need that safe environment. Um, And and on that safety thread, I think the the safety of of the culture and and the team on, you know, we're not here to point fingers when mistakes happen. Um, We learn from mistakes. Um, We don't we don't make fun of people when they ask questions. Right. Because we all you know, maybe more than one person has that question. And these are kind of overly simplified things, I think. But when you um, when you talk about it versus you actually do it. Those are, are are very very impactful and powerful things that can really drive the the healthy culture in your organization, um, and and everybody has a voice, right? Um, you you want to be careful when you've got a, a big team. If you, you probably have some some people that are louder than others, and probably some people that kind of sit back and 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 keep to themselves a little bit. You want to make sure everybody has an, an equal voice. Um, and that their their voice and their concerns can be heard i mean i think that that cultural element of the of the team is super critical to maintaining a good staff um you also want to look to having a balance of of talent um and so i don't have a magic formula uh, but you don't want all of your individuals to be uh you know senior 15 20 year career employees uh by the same token you certainly don't want them to be all you know green with less than two years of experience right um, and so you need the you need the, the balance there to give the senior people the opportunity to mentor and coach the younger folks on your team and the less experienced team. And so, um, again, I don't have a magic formula. I wish I did. I could probably sell it and retire. Um, <laughs> but but having those uh, those internal relationships across your team. Uh, make sure your your uh, SecOps or your DevSecOps team knows what happens on the engineering side or the incident response, um, right? You know, how do we write secure code and how does that relate back to our incident response process? Develop those kind of cross-organizational uh, relationships as well. And building that kind of framework is tough. It takes a lot of time, uh, but I think you'll really see a lot of
0: rewards uh,
1: when, you, when you take that approach to, to managing your
0: team. Nice, nice. I, I, I love that well-rounded approach. And I think one of the interesting aspects of that the senior-junior mentorship pair is that the juniors can call out those, this is the way it's always been done situations, because the seniors, that's how they've been doing it. Like, yeah. it's, it's normal to them. It's a habit to them. And now someone with a fresh set of eyes can call out, like, why are you doing it this way? Or things have changed. Like, have have you seen this new tool that this does this really cool thing that will help um, make that more efficient or whatever. And that, now you can have that fresh input from the juniors that yeah. have been maybe out there looking at the, the fresh tools to to show, oh, this is where I can shine.
1: Absolutely. I think you hit on a great point and I've even seen it to the, like the feature level on a system. You've got somebody that has implemented the system in your environment, that platform if they run it and they've got it finely tuned. that's doing just what they want it to do. Uh, and then somebody new comes in and says, Oh, what does that button do? Oh, we've never, we don't turn it on. That's oh uh, we don't do that. We're like, Oh no, that's really cool. Hey, look, it just saved us, you know, two hours worth of work. Oh, that's, that's incredible. Right. So fresh set of eyes is, is, always, always valuable, no matter your experience level, no matter how much you know about the, the technology or, or whatever it is. So, uh, and, and that goes back to having those those open lines of communication and, and having that safe environment so that individual feels empowered to speak up. Uh, and then that senior person can, can uh, you know, take that to heart and say, oh, gosh, you know what, I missed that. Um, that that's going to help drive me to be better. So it's going to make the organization better all the way around
0: this is something that the the military does very well they take someone that has potentially a limited set of skills or no skills at all and teaches them a, a trade or a, a very finely tuned set of skills mm-hmm. how can we implement such a such a structure like engineers do or n- nurses do in the cybersecurity world um potentially an apprenticeship model? Like, How do you see that working um, within the private sector?
1: That's a great question. I think a lot of us are driven in our careers that we want to grow fast and quickly and we want to climb whatever ladder it is if your path is to principal or distinguished engineer or whatever your organization calls it or a leader role type thing. Or, um, and there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, I really feel like we have to be patient. Um, you're not going to go from maybe you do. there are going to be few people that go from SOC analyst to CISO in five years or even ten years, right? Um, we, we have to be patient. We've got to um, really learn a lot about what you're doing and and don't just learn how to push the buttons on the, the technology or the system that you're that you're doing. Learn what happens when you push the button. Why are you pushing that button? right? Don't just push the button and expect the output um i remember in in school and learning you know really complex math and the teacher showed us the like the the way you did it before calculators type thing and it took like all class long to do this one simple problem um and then we learned the the modern kind of shortcut way and it's like oh my gosh that's so simple but but the experience of that of seeing The, you know, the step by step thing that happens, that's a really complicated process that we can distill down into, you know, take a two hour process and make it two seconds now. um, That's critical. But as practitioners and and to really, in my opinion, to do a really good job, we have to understand the underlying theory and foundation of what we're doing. Um, And I I will say, I, I think the military does that really well. Um, they take, you know, high school graduates, uh, 18, 19, 20 years old, whatever, however old you are, whatever experience you've got. Um, and they teach you some of the fundamentals, uh, at least in the, in the IT world of circuitry, how to, how do ele- uh, you know, circuits work with electricity, transistors, resistors, um, uh, you know, the whole gamut. Um, and they, they teach you the underlying things of, of how, um, which, which gives you some, some, uh, insight into why things are happening. And so you take that, and then you go learn how to, to you know, uh, code a, a switch or a router or, or you know, a, a platform, right? Or write, write, um, write software. And so I think really having a fundamental understanding, um, to a, a a deep understanding, is is really important. Um, now that's not not to say that every cyber position has to have years of training in electronic circuitry or, or whatever, right? You don't have to. Necessarily have to know how to to solder a, a circuit board, right? Um, but I I do think understanding at some level the the underlying kind of theory and and the really foundational concepts and foundations here does not to me does not mean the basics. It doesn't mean the 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 three step method, right? Foundations is really the core of of what we're doing, um, whether that's in a risk program. Uh, looking at governance models and, and risk frameworks, or if you're looking at, you know, engineering or, or, you know, data forensics or, or whatever the case may be. So um, I really do think we, we need to be patient uh, and really develop some, some expertise uh, and not just search for the the fastest career path to, you know, to become a, a millionaire and retire at, at 35 or whatever. <laughs> so
0: well, you mentioned searching for the fastest career path, um, from the candidate point of view, but what do you think about organizations that are solely looking for just that senior person and not willing to invest in them to grow so that they could, in theory, be up and running quickly?
1: Yeah, so again, I would I would challenge you to look at your time to hire um, and, and how long from the time you post a, a position to the time you actually have somebody starting, um, you know, I would say you're doing pretty well if that's one to two months, right? That's, that's going to be, that's going to be pretty quick. If you can do it faster than that. Great. Um, I also think some of that goes back to the conversation we had a moment ago about having a balance of talent. Um, you don't want everybody to be senior person cause then, you know, it's going to get stale really quickly, I think. Um, and, and you also want to offer people a path to, to promote, right? People are interested in that. Um, you know, I don't think you should expect a, a promotion every year or every six months or anything like that. Right. Um, again, there, there are always exceptions to every rule. Um, but I think it's about having the right balance of talent and and really and this is hard on a, on on all the way around. But to gauge the potential for your uh, for for your employees. Um, and, and is that something they're interested in? Right. And, and, and again, I'll go back to why are they interested in it? Do they just want to hack stuff or, or is there an underlying passion and drive to, to do that? And, and what is that? What are those, what's that motivation, um, uh, back there? Um, and I think in many cases, um, companies think they're taking a risk on developing somebody versus trying to hire that talent. Um, and and I think there there's a case to be made for to go either way, um, but I really think as a, as an industry, as a cybersecurity field, we need to do a better job of of developing our our employees to become and and see, help them see their potential at that next level of of work again, whether that's a an analyst to a, a lead or a engineer to a senior lead or distinguished or supervisory or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I think you've got to have a clear understanding of of what you're looking for out of your team uh, and to do that.
0: So it's and definitely I've, complicated. Yeah. I, I would add in addition to your time to hire, also calculate time to when you're fully on board, because there's absolutely your onboarding and ramp up time, which could add another one to three months, depending on how complex the skills are. So would it would it have been better to hire a junior and a mid instead of that one senior? And then you would have had not only resiliency in your team by having more people, but you also have additional variety and context on the team as well. Absolutely. That's a fantastic point. Fantastic point. Okay. As, as we approach uh, the end, how do you work to develop leadership on your team? Because you're you're going to find another role you, you might want to retire like how do you grow that that resource now that's been in your organization to succeed you yeah that's a
1: fantastic question and one we don't talk about enough right because in a lot of places leaving an organization is is you know just Frowned upon, if you will, right? It happens all the time, but we don't like to talk about it, which is is really kind of bizarre. So I think as a leader, one of your core responsibilities is to help build that secession plan. What does that look like? Um, If only so you can take PTO every once in a while and and have a vacation, right? Because who wants to get called when they're laying on the beach, Uh, you know, whatever. So... Um, so I think that is really important. And it's not just to, to that point, it's not just for, for when you leave or, or win the lottery or give out by the bus or whatever example you prefer. Um, and I, I think that's something that your, your leadership should should really be focused on. Developing leaders uh, also takes time. Um, and I actually said it in a post earlier this morning, but leadership is not a or, or leader is not a title. It is a thing that happens and a thing that you do. So anybody on your team can be a leader, whether they are entry level, early career person, um, or they're the senior, you know, CISO type type security leader. Um, and I think understanding that is is really key. Um, as far as building that succession plan, um, you know, to to really develop those individuals, that does take some time. Again, um, you want to have a good plan around what their strengths are. Uh, areas for improvement they are, and then what opportunities are occur in your organization to give them those opportunities to develop those skills um, so if you're presenting you know if you do uh an update to your executives you know once a month or once a quarter or whatever the time frame is, hand that off to your team let your let your lead engineer uh, or an engineering manager take that um, take that presentation maybe you intentionally schedule it while you're out of the office right and so give them the chance to to do that you want to take. Uh, those calculated risks right you don't want to send them you know I wouldn't send a, a lead sock analyst into the boardroom to make the quarterly update to the board right don't don't do that um, but but look for opportunities where you can can give them what we call stretch assignments and so it's a little bit out of their comfort zone. don't leave them unprepared right but but help guide them down that path help them help you know help build the slide or build the the delivery whatever the deliverable is rather um, and and talk through that. Um, And I think you can also look for projects in the organization that, that, uh, that span your team and span different, different organizations in the company to give them some of that experience, right? Because as, as the, a team lead or as a a director, as you go up, you're not just a leader over your team, you become a, really, you become a leader in the organization, um, and, and your voice carries weight across across that organization. And so you've got to develop that. They have to have those relationships with, with legal, with HR, with you know, whoever, whoever the, 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 the um, team you're interacting with is. Uh, you definitely need, need those relationships. And they have to have those, uh, the, the ability and the time to do that. Uh, and I think that's one thing, or another thing, rather, I should say that, that we, we don't focus on enough is building the relationships outside of, of our security team or outside of IT even, because um, you think, oh, it's, you know, we're, we're in IT, you know, and, and a lot of us are in IT and myself included for good reason. There's there's some level of comfort I get behind sitting sitting behind my screen, right? Um, but I, I really challenge you to get up and, and walk around if you're out in the office or, you know, call somebody um, that you haven't worked with lately that's that's not on your team. Maybe they're in HR or contracts or, again, wherever. Um, develop and cultivate those relationships and make sure that you're introducing uh, the folks on your team. Um, so I've, I've I've put a lot of this in the context of of uh, if you're a leader, do this. If you are not the leader in your office in your team, then ask your leader to do this. Right? Say, hey, how can I how can I work with HR? How can I get to know? Um, you know, the privacy folks, maybe they're in the legal organization. How do we get to know them better? Because we're going to have to work closely together at some point. Uh, and you never want to make an introduction in the midst of a crisis. So that is always the the worst time to uh, introduce yourself to somebody. Say, hi, I'm Jonathan from the security team. We have, a, we have an issue we need to handle. Oh, who are you again?
0: You don't want to do that. <laughs> you, you, you touched on something that I was about to ask. And that's in regards to business enablement. Security is really a function of the business because without the business, there's no need for us to be there. There's Absolutely. nothing to, se- to secure. So h- how do you work to ensure that your teams understand what the business mission is, what, what the business does to produce value, and how they can truly work to not just enable that, um, but really allow it to become more efficient to perform better while keeping it secure yeah
1: so the the main function of a security team is to protect revenue unless you're in a security product organization where you're building security products that's a little different um but but you want to understand where your revenue comes from you want to understand the systems that impact that revenue uh the teams that are using those systems um and and everybody on your team should be able to talk at some level about that, right? Um, and and understanding and it's also good to have that kind of documentation um, somewhere of hey these are the critical systems these are the ones we really need to care about, um, and so you you take that and and again that's where you d- you give these your your team members opportunity to work in these kinds of projects, um, and you think about how do we protect revenue. Well, you protect it by, you know, avoiding uh, and, and defending against a ransomware attack, right? That, that's pretty obvious. Um, but when you think about um, building secure code, right, d- doing that from scratch, from the beginning, early stages of code development, uh, you think, oh, well, that's actually going to take time if we have to go rework code now um, and delay the release and maybe delay that, that new revenue stream um, that's coming out but i would i would challenge you to look at it from a the different perspective of if we fix those bugs now we're not going to have to do that later and and we can have uh a faster time to producing feature rich applications that are going to help drive the business that are going to give better metrics or make the process faster whatever the case may be um so it's it's looking at it from creative ways and i think you know one of the analogies that is often used is that The business is a race car, the IndyCar engine, right? And security is the brakes. And and don't think about that as we're trying to keep the business from going forward. We're we're trying to help guide them and and understand, hey, there's a risk coming up. Here's a corner. It's really tight. You need to hit the brakes a little bit so we don't run off the track. Um, And so I think when you can can take that perspective and build high quality uh, security platforms with your customers in mind, Uh, it's going to make them a better security partner because they're not going to try to find a way to work around security right um they are going to incorporate it as part of their process and you need to understand what their daily processes are uh, and what their pain points are um you know a lot of times security professionals say oh you got to do it because i'm security and i said so like that's that's not the right answer um we need or or no you can't do it at all because i said so right that's that's the worst answer um and and we've got to find the ways to work with those organizations, to uh, uh, to understand again where are they coming from, what are they trying to achieve, and how can we help them do that quickly, uh, efficiently, uh, but also in a secure way that that protects the organization and and again protects the the revenue that we're trying to
0: trying to drive. Wow, that that's so spot on. Uh, we have a a great comment from one of our listeners. Ali mentions, I'm, I'm from the SOC. Come with me, Mr. CEO, if you want to survive our disaster recovery plan and the Terminator voice. But then they mentioned threat modeling early, fix terrible code in the future. That, that's true, not just for code, but for any business process. I think yeah. often we focus on threat modeling just for the code, but we have to threat model everything. What can go uh, wrong? Yeah, Exactly. Absolutely. In, in the process, in everything. And I think once we can do risk management with that threat model approach, it helps everyone. And if we can take in um, threat intelligence, uh, risk-informed decisions from everywhere, it just makes things so much easier. Absolutely. Absolutely. Identify risks up
1: front and, and figure out what you need to do with them, whether you can offload it, you need to fix it somehow, or you can ignore it. Maybe. Who knows?
0: Or, or just accept it. Yeah. And, and be prepared to accept write, it. Check when ing- it happens. Yeah, thank
1: you. Don't, <laughs> don't ignore risks. You, you might decide to accept them and then write that down and, and make sure the right person has uh, accepted that risk so you're not accepting a risk on behalf of your company.
0: I mean, you, you, you can ignore it, but it... it, it I would recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, Jonathan, we're, we're, we're coming around to the end. Um, let's pretend this is the future someone else is watching this in the future and they want to become a leader just like you uh what advice would you give them
1: develop relationships relationships are based on trust and communication um and and you've got to have authentic relationships um there's a lot of talk now about you know return to office and in, in a almost post COVID world. I mean, COVID's still a thing. It's kind of heating up again. So we kind of, it's off and on and off again. Um, I think really, really de- focus on developing those relationships, whether you're in person or if you're interacting over a, uh, some sort of collaboration platform, um, you've got to have relationships to do that and, and to, to build that influence. Um, and I think the best way to do that is to put yourself out there, volunteer for things that, that might be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, you know, talk to your your manager, your leader about that. Uh, find a mentor that has been there and can help guide you on that path. Um, there's a lot of ways, but also I think it's it's be patient, right? Um, you, you've got to, you, you, the worst thing that can happen to you is, hey, I, I want to be a leader, and you get put into a, a management or some sort of leadership position before you're ready, and then you fail, and it, it can be really hard to come back from that. Um, that's not to scare anybody off, but but just be be cognizant of of what you're asking for, and and really have some some very candid, down to earth conversations. Um, I love my job. I love what I do in my my career that I've that I've chosen. It's not always easy. It's not always stress free. Um, but I, I again and, and actually kind of circling back to the initial uh, one of the initial comments we we talked about was was understand why you want to do it um, and why do you want to be a leader. Uh, what is it about that that uh, that that can drive that? And also understand that just because you're a leader doesn't mean you have to to wear a hat that says you're the director or the the CISO or the CEO or whoever else, right? Um, we need authentic leaders across the board. And and you can do that from whatever chair you're sitting in right now.
0: Well, perfect. Thank you everyone for joining us for another CISO Thursday. Follow us on LinkedIn, um, subscribe and hit that notification button on YouTube. And then give us those 10 stars on your favorite podcast platform and share us with your friends and family. Thank you very much and have a great day. In the rapidly evolving world of cybersecurity, your business needs a guide that's as dynamic as the threats you face. CPF Coaching LLC delivers unparalleled expertise to elevate your cybersecurity startup or business